Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. If we haven't met, my name's Terry Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Life Christian Church. I'm about to do a 40-minute teaching uh, and just so you can have a sense of what's going to happen. And um, I do want to take just a moment and say, um, you know, happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And uh, I, I am so incredibly grateful for Dr. King and what he has meant to this nation, to our world, and uh, pray uh, for leaders like him to be raised up in this nation now. We could use a Dr. King right now. And um, so uh, I, I just wanted to mention that. And then let me mention uh, something uh, on, a, on, a, on a sad note, and that is this past week, uh, our church lost one of our original members, Eleanor Wills. And um, if, you, if you didn't know Eleanor, you missed something uh, spectacular. Eleanor was a larger-than-life person who impacted this church in profoundly important ways for many, many, many years, including uh, the fact that she is the, the legendary leader of our soup kitchen ministry uh, in partnership with Christine's Kitchen here in town. And she probably led that ministry, I'm going to guess, for 25 years. And um, uh, there will be an outpouring of love from this community for Eleanor and the way that she served, and uh, an outpouring of love from uh, so many of us who knew her so well, dudes and dolls. Hard to imagine the world without Eleanor, isn't it? And she was a very dear friend of me and Sharon, and uh, part of what she was famous for is she's like the best cook ever in the history of the world. And uh, she would fix me uh, curry chicken and roti, and, um, but she didn't like the fact that, that I only like white meat, which I guess is illegal if you're from Guyana, I don't know. But uh, she'd do it like that for me anyway. And um, I just, it's hard to uh, um, just uh, uh, talk about how much she meant to us. And I don't normally get up and talk about deaths that have occurred over the past week, but this is a, a historic one. You know, I see people, you know, Denise, who uh, we've done a lot of life together with Eleanor and her family, some of which were here in the first service. And, and Thursday night, there'll be a, a big celebration of life uh, at six o'clock for those of you who want to be a part of that. And uh, um, I look forward to being able to honor Eleanor. There are going to be people come from all over and it's going to be quite an uh, interesting night, actually. So um, last Sunday... We started teaching through Hebrews, and we've committed that over the next four months or so, we are going to be teaching through Hebrews. If you're not familiar with what Hebrews is, Hebrews is a book in the New Testament, um, actually a, a sermon. We call it a book, but it's a sermon that was written by someone who I'll talk about in a few moments. And um, last week we started teaching through this, as we'll do kind of section by section, and we landed on Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, where the writer to the Hebrews said that Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, I'm going to come back to that here in a little bit in terms of the text in Hebrews. Uh, this is very much going to be a very teachy kind of 
thing today. So um, just, I, I turned around to Sharon before I came up and I, and I nudged her and I said, please stay a week awake while I'm teaching. And uh, so that's really, that's my big request of all of you today is just stay awake and I'll be a happy guy. Actually, I need more than that. Take notes, would you? All right. Now, so uh, let's talk a little bit about angels, and then we'll come back to the text and, and why angels are talked about. There are a great number of stories in Scripture about angels, and there are many, many stories contemporaneous to us today about angels. It's, uh, it's a fascinating subject. Here, here's one classic biblical story about angels. It's, the, it's a story that's told in the second book of Kings in the Old Testament uh, about the prophet Elisha, who was hearing the plans of, a, of, of the king of Aram, who was um, uh, allied against the Israelites. And every time the king of Aram would make a plan uh, in his secret council, Elisha, through the the spirit of God would know what his plans were, and uh, the king of Aram would come to attack the Israelites, and the Israelites would be ready. And finally, the king calls together his his inner council, and he says, "Who here is betraying me?" And they said, "No one's betraying you." There's a man of God named Elisha, though, and he hears the things you're even saying in the privacy of your bedchamber. Well. That was enough for the king of Aram. He sends an army against Dothan, which is where Elisha was. There are hills around Dothan. This huge army during the night arrays themselves in the hills to attack Dothan in order to kill the man of God, Elisha. The, 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 The servant of Elisha gets up early the next morning, I guess, to make Elisha coffee. And he looks out the window and he sees this huge army arrayed around Dothan. And he goes back and wakes Elisha up and says, he says, we are, basically, he says, not a direct quote, we are in trouble. We are about to get killed. To which Elisha says, 2 Kings 6, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It's a great line. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The fact is that in the world of spirit, those who were with Elisha were more than those who in the material world of the scene were against him. And this, in fact, I hope that you might be convinced by the time I'm finished today, is reality. And this is the reality in which we live today. A story more recent, although uh, somewhat dated, but typical of the kind of stories you read here. Frankly, I've experienced some things uh, like this, um, and probably most of you have, although I think most of the time we're not aware of it. Billy Graham, in his, in his book Angels, tells the story of a Scottish missionary to, the, to a South Pacific island named John G. Patton, a legendary missionary. The island that he was doing missions on had a tribe of cannibals. And, and one night the cannibals decided to come and to kill this missionary and his family and, and, and eat them. 
And they surrounded their house and made all kinds of terrible noise. And, and, uh, it, it, and, and the missionaries were praying. But in between the prayers, they heard all this and were surprised when hour after hour during the night, nothing happened. And the, the next morning as the sun rose, they saw the cannibals taking off. And a year or so later, the, the, the chief of this tribe became a follower of Jesus and uh, uh, the missionary Patton was having a conversation about that night and said, why on that night did you guys not, why did you, you not attack us? And, and, and the chief said, well, uh, surely you would understand that your house was surrounded by these tall men with their clothes glowing and weaponry in their hand. And there was no way we could penetrate that, that circle around your house. And so we finally, we were afraid and we left. To which Patton, of course, had no idea. He didn't see it, but God caused the chief of this tribe of cannibals to see it. Well, uh, there are lots and lots and lots and lots of stories to be told like that. Uh, but we have something better than, than that story. Uh, we have the teachings of Scripture that give us quite a, a, a body of evidence about the existence of angels and some idea of what they're like. We don't know fully, of course, but some idea of what they, they're like and what they do and what kind of expectations we might have uh, for angelic stuff to be going on in the world around us. So um, let, let's talk for a minute about some things we know from Scripture about angels, and then uh, also some things uh, that uh, fill in some gaps from those who've studied angels where there might not be things that are clearly directly said in Scripture. Here, here are a few things. First of all, Angels are mentioned more than a hundred times in the Old Testament and more than a hundred and sixty times in the New Testament. We're talking about more than 260 times angels are mentioned. This uh, is not a small subject in Scripture. There are some things mentioned two or three times that get talked about a lot more than angels do. And in fact, it's been years since I've done any kind of a teaching on angels. Uh, but that's how many times angels are mentioned in Scripture. We know from Scripture that they were created before the creation of this universe and uh, obviously before the creation of humankind. We know that they were present at our creation, and they rejoiced with God as God was rejoicing in the it is goodness and it is very goodness about the creation. Uh, God said to Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? It's kind of, you know, when you're talking about angels, it's, 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 it's interesting to think about the fact they've been here before the very beginning. They've watched God do the things God does since like forever. Um, before the creation of humanity, there was a rebellion in heaven among the angels led by Lucifer, one of the three archangels, and one third of the angels were cast out of heaven and made their headquarters in Hades, or we might say they made their headquarters in the belly of the earth. You might use the word hell. The proper word actually is the word Hades. That's where, uh, that's the headquarters of evil, the evil one and his minions, the fallen angels. But we shouldn't be afraid about the fact that this one-third have been allowed by God to headquarter on earth and to create conflict between good and evil, which is a sermon for another day, uh, because uh, uh, the other 
two archangels, Gabriel and Michael, are obedient and faithful and lead an army of at least two-thirds of the original angels, plus presumably many more than that, because God can create as many angels as he wants. Lucifer does not have the power to create. He has what he has. It's a closed system. Uh, God has, is, lives in an open system, and he can create as many angels as he, as he wants to. And so you get this idea in Scripture that there are, as one text says, an innumerable company of angels. Uh, I love that 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 uh, scene in the Revelation where John has this vision of God sitting on the throne, and he writes in Re- Revelation five eleven, I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne. We also know that angels live in heaven, but they, they work in the heavenly realms. When you see the term heavenly realms in the New Testament, it refers not to heaven out there where God lives and the angels, I think headquarter might be the right way to say it. The heavenly realms is the, is the spiritual environment between here and there. The heavenly realms is here. We are physically now in the heavenly realms, which is the spirit world of reality that is around us and which and in which there are all kinds of things going on that we can't see. But that's ultimate reality. This is, uh, this world came from that world and, uh, was created out of that world, out of God who lives in that world speaking a word. The material word, world is, uh, 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 not ultimate reality. That world is. And, and so that's where the angels do what they do. They live and work in the heavenly realms. Now they are invisible, but they can become visible. In scripture, typically when they become visible, they uh, appear in the form of a man. But um, in our Christmas show this past year, uh, Gabriel was a woman. And the fact is, somebody thought I might be troubled when I read that in the script. The fact is, angels can become whatever they need to become to keep a divine assignment. Not just uh, whether it's a man or a woman, but an angel could become a rock. An angel could become uh, uh, water falling. An angel, here, here's what scripture says, Hebrews 1.7. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. And become whatever they need to become in order to do whatever needs to be done to carry out a divine assignment. Now, what are the kinds of things that angels do? Well, there are several things we know from Scripture about what they do, and probably a lot of things we have no idea about. But we know that angels are messengers. Both the uh, uh, Hebrew word translated angel in the, in the Old Testament in, in English and uh, the Greek word translated angel in the New Testament into English both mean in their original meaning messenger. Angels are messengers, and they played a very important role that I'll talk about this week and hopefully some next week in bringing the the two most important messages to humanity, which is the law and which is the gospel. And they are messengers, and they seem to play that role in a lot of other ways as well. Uh, angels worship and praise God continuously. There's a good bit in Scripture about this. The 103rd Psalm, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. We also are aware that angels 
protect believers. This is key to their God-given assignment. Um, and, and again, we'll return to this theme a good bit. The 34th Psalm is a beautiful Psalm that says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers him. There's the glorious 91st Psalm, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. Angels not only protect believers, they also minister to believers. Slight difference. Um, uh, there's a place where an angel ministers to Jesus while he w- w- was was uh, on earth, and th- the word that talks about the angel ministering him meant to strengthen him inwardly. So angels minister to believers. Angels, uh, Hebrews 1.14 says, are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Now listen, guys, I know that this is somewhat esoteric, could be abstract, ethereal. Let me think of some other interesting word. I can't. Uh, that mysterious, perhaps, uh, stuff. But, and as difficult as it is to kind of grasp this, I, I want you just to consider the possibility In fact, I think the certainty, but if you want to, you can think even, I'd be happy for some of you just to maybe think about the the possibility that there actually are spirit beings assigned by God to minister to you, to protect you, and this seems to be a primary purpose of the angels now. And that is a marvelous thing to think about. Okay, why are we talking about angels today? Well, as I said earlier, we began teaching through Hebrews last week, and the writer of Hebrews began with the assertion that, and this is what we taught last week, that when we really pay attention to Jesus, when we really understand who he is, we will know that he is greater than any other thing in the universe And the way that the writer lands that plane in the first few verses of Hebrews is by saying he is greater than the angels. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, the writer of Hebrews writes, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance and through the son, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. It's what we taught about last week. If you're interested, you go back and watch that online. And then verse 4, this shows that the sun is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than the their names. And then the writer of Hebrews takes the rest of what the translators have divided into chapter 1 and all the way into chapter 2 of Hebrews, talking about how Jesus is greater than the angels. So if we're going to talk about Hebrews, we need to talk about the angels that Jesus is greater than. Okay, so a quick reintroduction to Hebrews for those who weren't here last week or those who were like me and already forgot about what I said last week, all right, which would be all of us, I'm sure. Just a quick reintroduction so we can locate ourselves in what's going on here. As best we can tell, Hebrews was written to discouraged Jewish Christians, as they're typically called, living in Rome in the mid-80s, the mid-60s A.D., 
When we, talk, when we use the term Jewish Christians, it's, it's, it's a, it, 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 it's, it seems to be the best term to be used to describe the people this is written to, but it's, it's, it has, it lacks in some ways because this seems to include Jews who had come to believe that Jesus is, is the Messiah and who believed in him and were following him. By the way, all the early Christians were Jewish. But at some point then, uh, 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 Gentiles or non-Jewish people started to believe as well, and they seem to be included in this letter, but it appears that the Gentile Christians who are included in this letter are, are, are Gentile Christians who are what, are what would be called God-fearers, or they had deep knowledge of, of, of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, and the law of Moses, and deep knowledge of uh, the religious system that grew from the law of Moses. They had deep knowledge of it. They had affinity for it. Their lives had been very influenced by it. So when we use the term Jewish Christians, it's kind of a big umbrella to talk about followers of Jesus who understood the Old Testament, the law of Moses, uh, the religious system, the tabernacle, the sacrifice sacrifices and all of that stuff, which we get into later in, in Hebrews. This group had suffered through a famous persecution under the emperor Claudius about 15 years before this letter was written. They're about to suffer an even more severe and more violent persecution under the emperor Nero. Everybody knows about that persecution. These Roman Jewish Christians were about to suffer through that. But at this time, though, there doesn't seem to be um, kind of a, a, a persecution that, you, that would make the history books. They're clearly, between these two great persecutions is a is a severe marginalization of these of these Christ followers in Rome. They are marginalized or or maybe even better said cast out by their Jewish brothers and sisters because they believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything in the of all the promises in the Old Testament. And they're also not accepted by the Romans because they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord as opposed to the, to the emperor being Lord. So every place in the empire, the emperor is called Lord except by Christians, which becomes a, a, a big reason, if not the primary reason for the persecutions that happen against Christians. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so these Jewish Christians are kind of, they're by themselves. There aren't very many of them. It seems that there's a smattering of house churches where these Jewish Christians are meeting, and they're very discouraged, discouraged to such an extent that some of them had stopped attending services all together, and it seems that many of them were tempted to return to pre-conversion ways of life. For the Jews uh, in, in this group, that would mean returning to the synagogue. For the, the Gentiles in this group, that it could have meant that. It appears some of them had, had converted to Judaism and, and may have gone back to the synagogue. But certainly they were tempted to return to a pre-conversion way of life, a life without Jesus. This is why the writer of the Hebrews says things like, Hebrews 10, 25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Or Hebrews 2, 1 and 2, which we talked about last week, we must listen carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. This, the writer is very concerned about the spiritual condition of his flock and very concerned that they're going to miss the most important thing in the history of the universe, 
which is that the God who made the universe had shown up and wants to have a relationship with people through Jesus Christ. And this writer is so concerned that they get a new picture of who Jesus is and understand his supremacy and, 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 and don't miss the most important thing in the world. Now, who was the writer to the Hebrews? Well, no one knows, but there are some things that are very clear. For one, he was clearly a dynamic preacher. Uh, Hebrews is written in the form of a sermon, as opposed to when Paul wrote letters to the churches, they were letters. And, you know, they kind of start with, dear so-and-so, love you, Paul. But that's not how Hebrews start. Hebrews starts, you, you almost, you have to hear Martin Luther King Jr. You have to hear his voice reading Hebrews to get a sense of its power and impact because it is a glorious, masterfully crafted sermon. And you, you, you read it out loud when you read it because that's really the way it was meant to be delivered. It's considered one of the greatest homiletical achievements in the history of the world. And, um, uh, one of the most beautiful pieces of oratory ever written. We know that the writer to the Hebrews was also very highly educated because of the way he used uh, language. Uh, uh, particularly, he clearly was educated in rhetoric, which only the, the most educated people in the world at that time were educated in. And he uh, uh, was extremely well-read. And we know this, again, because of, of, of the multi flavored beauty of the language that he uses in this sermon that he wrote. The most important thing, though, to know about this writer is he was a pastor. He was a pastor at the core of his being, which means that he cared deeply about the people he was writing to. He wasn't an ivory tower intellectual. He wasn't professorial. He wasn't trying to impress people with his use of words. Everything he's doing here, though he uses big words and does all kinds of things to craft language, it's all about his passion his care, his concern for people who are about to leave Jesus because they've forgotten who he is. And they're drifting away and they're not attending church and they're thinking about going back to life without Jesus. Now, why was this greater than the angels message so important for this group? All right, now remember, he starts Hebrews 1, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, Jesus is greater than everything. And then Hebrews 1, 4, he's greater than the angels. And then all the way through Hebrews 1 and into Hebrews 2, he's greater than the angels. 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 Why is that so important to this particular group? Well, it's important to this particular group for, for one primary reason, and then there are probably some secondary reasons as well. The first is that these Jewish Christians uh, had a... a uh, Love for the law of Moses, which they should have had, which we should have, in fact, as long as we understand it leads us to Jesus and isn't the, the, the final story. They had a love for the law of the Mo- law of Moses and the law of Moses was given to Moses at Mount Sinai by an angel. There's a lot in Jewish tradition about this, and there are some key scriptures around this as well. For instance, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 wrote, the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. 
pretty straightforward, isn't it? Stephen is about to get martyred, the first Christian martyr, and Acts chapter 7 has the sermon he preached to those who were about to kill him, and he brings this subject up. He says, he, Moses, was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and he received living words to pass on to us. You, he says to those Jewish religious leaders, have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. And then Hebrews chapter 2, for the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. He's talking about the law and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So so the the big reason he's saying Jesus is greater than the angels is he's using this as a way to say that Jesus is greater than Moses. As great as angels are, as great as Moses was, as great as the greatest things ever were, Jesus is greater than that. Case in point... He says, let's talk about angels, okay? Now, um, there are other secondary things as well that that, that could have been, uh, writers, uh, scholars speculate the fact that similarly uh, to the Colossian church, there were some people who were fascinated with angels, kind of uh, first century New Agers, who uh, uh, were, 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 were thinking that Jesus might have just been, you know, like the best angel ever. And it also appears that there was a temptation on the part of some of these folks to call Jesus an angel, the greatest angel uh, ever, because if they would have called Jesus just a great angel, they would have fit in with the rest of society. The Romans would have had no problem with them. The problem was they didn't mind. The Romans didn't care if somebody says, hey, we're worshiping an angel. They said, that's fine. Is, is, Is Caesar Lord? And as long as they said Caesar's Lord, it was good. So it was tempting for people to say, Caesar's Lord, Jesus was an angel, let's go out to dinner, or something like that. And then the Jews, of course, uh, you know, you, you, you think Jesus was an angel, we're all into angels, it's fabulous, wonderful. You can come back to the synagogue, let's talk about angels, it's all good. Just as long as you're telling us Jesus isn't the Messiah. But see, the problem was they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and they believed that Jesus was the Lord, and Jesus wasn't just an angel, and it was not just about an angel who gave the law to Moses. This is about a whole new thing that God is doing now through Jesus Christ, which is a culmination of everything God has ever done before in history. You still awake? Thank God. So let's get into the text. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. Let's, let's, let's do it like this. Four ways Jesus is greater than the angels. Here's the first one. This is, this is the, the, this, this pastor making this argument. The first one is Jesus is God's son. So he says, Hebrews 1.4, Jesus is greater than the angels. Hebrews 1.5, for God never said to any angel what he has said to Jesus. This is really beautiful. And now he's going to start quoting all through this section from the Old Testament. Why is he quoting from the Old Testament? Because these were the Jewish scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament then. They're writing the New Testament, living the New Testament. These are the Jewish scriptures. This is God's word. And this is what's framed the thinking of the people he's writing to. So he's quoting from scripture, citing scripture. 32 times in Hebrews, he quotes scriptures from what we call the Old Testament. And he quotes a bunch of them in this. All right, Hebrews 1, 5, for God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, you are my son. Today I have become your father. 
God also said, and he's quoting now, he just quoted from the second psalm, a messianic psalm. A messianic psalm, of course, is a psalm that's pointing forward and telling us how the Messiah is going to come and what he's going to be like and all of that. So he quoted from a second psalm, a messianic psalm, and now he quotes from that glorious passage in 2 Samuel 7 where uh, the prophet Nathan is telling David how that he's going to have a son who's going to sit on his throne forever, which is a prophecy of Jesus, son of David. Okay? Okay, now I'm going to go back and read it again. For God never said to any angel what he said to, to Jesus. Psalm 2, you are my son, today I've become your father. God also said, 2 Samuel 7, I will be his father and he will be my son. The emphasis there is son. Jesus is not just a great angel. Jesus is the son of God. The concept of the Messiah, so says Guthrie in his commentary on Hebrews, the concept of the Messiah as God's son was an aspect of Jewish thinking even prior to the Christian era. So this writer is saying, hey guys, you've been waiting for God's son. Jesus is God's son. Secondly, Jesus is worshipped and served by the angels. Hebrews 1, 6 through 7. And when he brought his supreme son, other translations use um, honored son, or the, the most translations use the word firstborn son. When he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, Deuteronomy 32, let all of God's angels worship him. Regarding his angels, he says, the 104th Psalm, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. So now he says, not only is he God's son, but he's God's firstborn son. This idea of the firstborn son was very important in the first century and had been for centuries preceding it. I know we may not like this so much now in a more egalitarian uh, culture, but the, uh, being a firstborn son was everything at that time, and people understood that 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 was just the way things are. The firstborn son had a special place in the heart of his father. The firstborn son is the one who reaped the lion's share of the inheritance. The firstborn son is the one who received the birthright, who received the blessing, and so on. So when, when he's saying he's not only God's son, he's God's firstborn son. God's going to end up with lots of sons. We'll teach about that next week because that means us. We're his sons and daughters. But none of us are the firstborn. He's the firstborn son. And the fact that he's the firstborn son caused God to say to the angels that you think are so great, go worship him and serve him. And in fact, that's what the angels did. When Jesus uh, was born, what happens? The angels move from heaven to earth. God is laying over there in a manger, and uh, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace on those to whom his favor rests. The angels now, who are so great, now are going to worship around a baby over there in a manger. Um, 
Uh, I like the, the passage in the Revelation where John, uh, who wrote the Revelation, says that he saw an angel. And he said, when I saw this angel, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. I know that's a lot. I know I'm reading a lot of scripture, and I'll continue to read a lot of scripture today. But so I'll just sum some of it up for you. The angel's basically saying, don't worship us. We're just like, we're like you. We're servants of God. Worship him. He's the one. And so the Writers of Hebrews, writer of Hebrews is trying to make this point. I, I know you guys are all into the angel thing, but look, look, the angels are worshiping him and you should do the same. And another thing is the angels are serving him. There are a couple of beautiful times in, in the life of Jesus where the angels show up at crisis moments and they serve him. Now, I want to say this. It's nice to think about them serving Jesus, but, but then, then I want you to know where I'm going to land today is, is now they've been assigned to serve you or, or maybe serve to serve. They're, they're to serve and worship him. They've been assigned to serve us. Okay, not worship us. Um, but but so so one of those times is Jesus in his temptation in the wilderness is forty days in. He's 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 nearing starvation. He started to starve, and Satan shows up and tempts him. This is an incredibly vulnerable moment, right? But but then he 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 overcomes the temptation, and Matthew tells us the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. That's just beautiful. Here Jesus is weak. In his humanity, the God-man is starving, exhausted from temptation. And what happens? God the Father says, go attend to him. What did they do? They, 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 they probably fed him. And um, they, they attend. I, it's just, I like the, the language. They attended him. And then another, maybe the other most vulnerable moment is in Gethsemane. When he is praying, he is praying until blood is coming out of his pores. And in that moment, what happens? Luke tells us that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Um, it's been a while, but somewhere I read that, that, that what that literally means is an angel from God appeared to him and strengthened him inwardly. So the angels, so, so again, these Jewish Christians, the angel gave the law to Moses, angels, angels, angels. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let me tell you why Jesus is greater than the angels, 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 because the angels actually now are serving God's firstborn son. They worship him. They serve him. Here's the third thing. Jesus will reign forever, not the angels. Let's pick the text up at Hebrews chapter one, verse eight. But to the son, he says, he quotes from the 45th Psalm, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with the scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. Jesus had the oil of joy poured out on him more than anyone else. You know part of what I hope so much is that you will fall in love with Scripture. And you read something like that and you meditate some morning. I don't expect you to, you know, dig into all this stuff, but you just read and you think, what does it look like? 
This is a total sidetracked rabbit trail thing. What, would it, what does it look? This is, you meditate on things like this. The oil of joy was poured out on Jesus more than anyone else. Just think about that for 15 minutes and pray about that. Okay, let's get back. He also says to the son, verse 10, and now he quotes from the 102nd Psalm, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. So the, the Messianic Psalm says that this firstborn son, the Messiah, who's going to show up, he's the one who made the foundation of the earth. He's the one who made the foundation for the entire material world. But the entire material world, it's temporary. But you, he says, you're going to last forever and you're going to sit on a throne forever in the world that is real and supreme and beyond this world. And then fourth, then the angels are, notice this, quote, only servants, end quote, who help Jesus and those of us who follow him receive and advance the salvation Jesus made possible. So all this beautiful stuff now lands, at least there's a pivot point here as you go into chapter 2 with these two verses, Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. And God never said to any of the angels, and he quotes now from the 110th Psalm, sit at the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. How many of you in this room have confessed your faith in Jesus? Can I see your hands? All right, thank you. What are the angels up to now? Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits to sent to care, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Just think about this. That their assignment now mind-boggling as it is, is to care for those of you who just raised your hand and said, I've confessed my faith in Jesus, which means that you have inherited salvation. Amen. That, that, normally, I'm not looking for the clap, but I'll take the clap on that one because that's not my idea. You know, that's not my idea. I didn't come up with this. I'm not stretching something. I'm just reading to you exactly what it says. If you believe scripture, you believe that angels have been sent to, what's it say? Care for you? I lost it, actually. Whatever it says, you get the point. All right. So, a couple more things, and I'll, I'll wrap this up. And, and, and what I'm going to do is, I, I'm, I'm not going to end pretty today because I'm ending about two pages before the end of today's sermon. Um, uh, and, and, I, and I'm just going to kind of do things a little differently and intentionally differently as we go through Hebrews, and that is we'll leave off and we'll pick up the next week, and, um, and we're going to kind of drop off in the middle here. But let me just dig around this just for a few more seconds, and then, then, um, then the band's going to lead us in a great song of faith to send us home all pumped up and, 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 and awakened after you've gone to sleep during the sermon. All right. 
So years ago, my father-in-law, who's a uh, great, oh, he's now very ill and, and ill with Alzheimer's in the hospital again today, but uh, a great preacher and uh, someone who taught me to love to study. You can blame him for part of all of our problems here. Um, uh, he, he, he either gave me or led me to purchase a series of books by Kenneth S. Wiest called, um, I don't remember what they're called, but they're about uh, the origin, uh, uh, the, the Greek language and, and how Scripture is revealed beautifully when you, when you and he, he gives re, really beautiful stuff about the Greek language. Anyway, too long uh, in the sausage making there except to say, there was an article I read about 40 years ago, it stuck in my mind for 40 years, and it's called God's University for Angels. And he makes the case from Scripture that the church is where the angels are learning things about God that though they have been with him forever, even watched him create the world, gave the law to Moses, etc., 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 they are watching him now do things in the church with us that blow their angel minds. That's not what the Bible doesn't, that's not a direct quote. But here's what, what Peter says. 1 Peter 1. They, they spoke of things. They, if you look earlier in the text here in Peter, are prophets who spoke about the grace that was going to come to the church through Jesus. They spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Paul wrote this to the Ephesians. He said, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So, the angels are with God from before the beginning. The angels are with God when he creates the planet. They're shouting for joy. The angels give the law to Moses. An angel gives the law to Moses. They watch God deal with people under the law, which includes people being punished for disobeying it severely. The angels start showing up now as messengers of the gospel. And I'll pick this up next week. They show up announcing the birth of Jesus. They show up at the birth of Jesus. They show up ministering to Jesus during his life. They show up at the resurrection they show up at the ascension. The one place they don't show up, they don't show up at the crucifixion. In fact, the thing that's said about the angels at the crucifixion is Jesus said, if I wanted to, I could call down 12 legions of angels. I don't even know how to explain what I think and feel when I, when I think about this. These angels who've watched God be God like forever, are now watching God humble himself 
as a human being, show up on this planet to bring good news, to bring the gospel of the kingdom to humanity. And the culmination of all of this is the God-man offers himself as a sacrifice on the cross. And you just have to imagine these angels who for eternities past have been serving God, worshiping God, attending to God, carrying out his purposes, are back there in the heavenlies just waiting for the word. God, the man that God is at that moment is dying on the cross. All it would have taken was just, you know, a beckon. And so he dies, he's buried, he's raised from the dead. Now the angels show back up. It's like, now we, 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 this we can get. This is the kind of stuff God does. He doesn't do the dying on a cross thing. But this is the kind of stuff God does. And now, here from all of this, are we, the what resulted from the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, here we are, recipients of the gospel of grace. And Peter says, and Paul says, the angels still are bending low and looking down and trying to figure God out because of what they see God doing through the church. It's like they can't comprehend, it's like they could get the law thing, but this grace thing. It's like they could get God saying, do what I tell you or I'm gonna zap you. But now they're looking at us and God's saying, you know, I love you, I died for you, confess your sins, I forgive you, don't sin. If you do sin, confess your sins, I'll forgive you, don't sin. If you do sin, confess. And the angels have just gotta be sometimes watching God do what God does with all of us human beings who now have believed in the gospel and become a part of the church. And their assignment of all things is to minister to those of us who are heirs of salvation. And it's like they're walking around, you know, throwing their hands up half the time saying, I don't even know God, what you're doing with all these people. We don't even understand it. But they're learning things about God by watching God and how he loves us. Would you stand with me, please? I think I'm finished.